Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought I'd care about gardening until I bought a house in the suburbs. But now I find myself in conversations about liquid fertilizer and I wonder, am I the fertilizer guy now? <laughs> no, no way. Everyone knows the ratio between phosphorus and nitrogen, right? Yeah, I'm still totally cool. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 38 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union. But by now, come on, you know them, I know them, everybody knows them as DCU. And not only is DCU a great place to bank at, but they're also a great place to work. And by the way, they are hiring for full and part-time positions. And I know it might be a unique time to try and visualize yourself at a new job. But at DCU, they're here to help you make that change, along with offering a benefits package that includes three weeks vacation, a competitive salary, a generous bonus program, a 401k plan with 100% company match up to 7%, plus tuition reimbursement, a student loan payment assistance program, and so much more. It's not the easiest time to be looking for a job. I know that, but those benefits are amazing. So to learn more about DCU and career opportunities, visit dcu.org careers. DCU is proud to be an equal employment opportunity and affirmative action employer. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by MistressCarrie.com, which is where you can find everything you need. All right, maybe not everything. I mean, if you're looking for a job, you need to go to DCU, but everything else. Every episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast is up there. Every sit rep is up there, which is your way to find out all the headlines in rock and entertainment every weekday in less than five minutes. All of the episodes of Cocktails in the War Room are up there as well. And we've been through a lot since the first episode back on March 14th of 2020. If you're trying to keep track of all of the virtual and streaming concerts, go to the events calendar on mistresscarry.com. Plus, my blog is up there. My photo galleries are expanding all the time. The official Mistress Carrie online store is there, filled with awesome clothes and cool gear. And there's even a link in the top right-hand corner to get yourself a Mistress Carrie backstage pass on Patreon. Okay, this episode of the podcast, I really hope that you are a fan of British humor. 
because the guys from Royal Blood are full of it. If you're not familiar with Royal Blood, there's only two guys, Mike and Ben. They grew up together. They're from Brighton, England, and they make a lot of music for just two guys. I saw them once in a small club, and not so long after that, I saw them opening up for the Foo Fighters at Fenway. And it doesn't matter how big the venue is. These guys are amazing live. And we talked about a lot of stuff. Musical inspiration, touring. We got into some technical stuff with songwriting, travel, their favorite bands. We talked briefly about baseball and cricket. And, of course, a lot about their upcoming new album, Typhoons, that comes out on April 30th. If you've never heard their music before... Click the playlist link in the show notes of this podcast and get to know their music because I can guarantee that if you're not a fan already, you're going to be. These guys are so down to earth and so cool, and I can't wait for you to get to know Mike and Ben. So allow me to introduce you to Royal Blood. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your bra on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stain, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to, you have the privilege of listening to Mistress Carrie. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. How are you? We're all right, thank you. How are you? Uh, really well. It's nice to be able to see you while we talk. Is we haven't seen a, a human being properly in a year. No, I've actually never seen you talk. No, I've heard you. Talk, <laughs> but I've never seen you talk. I like you talks third album. I mean Bono. I think it's called War War Child. It is a little strange how antisocial we've all become in an industry that prides itself on being almost too social most of the yeah. time. Well, we got social media, so and anti-social media, and yeah, which is uh, yeah. So I get to see people that I don't want to see all the time. But seeing people you want to see has been made a little bit more difficult. Oh, it's terrible! I can't see them at all. When's the last time you guys actually played a live show? The last show we played. Oh, we usually mime, so <laughs> yeah. But the last live one, we we're in France. Uh, a festival Rock, called Rock on Sen. It's the last gig we played. And that was 2019, maybe. It was August. So let's work that out. What date? I reckon August the, I want to say 26th. Because it's the day after. Yeah. Year. So where are we now? We're, we're, we're February. 
Yeah, February the sixteenth. Yeah. So how many days has it been? <laughs> uh, five hundred and five hundred and twenty-seven days. Do what? you really have that ability to be able to count the days that quickly? Yeah, of course he does. How do you do that? I I don't know. It's like I think well, I think that's right. Five hundred. Yeah. Let me Google it. This is something that comes up a lot in the podcast is that the part of your brain that works language and mathematics is also the part of the brain that works music. And you being a drummer, it doesn't surprise me that you have that mathematical ability given what you do for a living. Thank you. Um, Mike's just checking to see if I... What did you say? Oh, I was close. I said, I said 527. Yeah, 539. That's pretty damn close. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I was wondering if a leap year was going to fuck with you. It, yeah, it did. Four, <laughs> four leap years, Emma, yeah. But yeah, the, time. The first time I met you guys, um, I believe, was your first or second show in Boston, and you played a little club called the Brighton Music Hall. Mm -hmm. I remember And that. there was... There was maybe like a hundred people in the room and I came with a bunch of friends, a lot of them who were musicians. And we stood there in awe watching you guys and listening to this wall of music coming out of the two of you. And I just remember walking out of that show going, I, I don't know if I fully understand what I just saw. Right. You guys get a lot of questions about how it is that you're able to pull off the music you pull off with the two of you. Chemistry is all is all that is. It's Mike and I working together and enjoying rock music at the same tempo and turning it up loud and I think we we just bring an, an energy to our performances and you the fans can see a little bit of our friendship um, and excitement while while watching us play. Beautifully put. I also that day uh, I remember I did, I did my laundry. Well, so that gives you a little spark as well, doesn't it? The knowledge. Fresh, fresh underwear. Fresh underwear makes you um, excited. There's nothing like new socks, clean underwear. For girls, a new bra yeah, gives you yeah. this whole other kind of feeling that you're going to have a good day. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Red socks. Well, that was what I was going to ask you is that the next time you came to Boston, you played with the Foo Fighters at Fenway Park. Yeah. The and I remember my mind being blown that you went from the Brighton Music Hall to Fenway Park in the span of not even a year. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, at that time we were on tour with the Foo Fighters, so we we're playing ven like venue stadiums like that most nights. So Fenway Park to us was a bit of a um, we didn't know the difference really until we saw the was it the green mon is it called the green monster? Yeah. The green wall. And then we realized what we were de dealing with um mm. after that. 
It's one of those it's one of those iconic things that even if you don't grow up here in the United States following baseball, you recognize it from movies and the news and that's it. Ted too. Yeah, it's the biggest green screen um in in the world, is it? Yeah. Do you have any appreciation for American baseball or just baseball in general? I like the hats and I like the, the jerseys. I'm not going to pretend to know anything about it, but what I do know about it is the is the excitement and the the culture around it is so prevalent and so um, yeah, so easy to see whenever we go over to America. That it's it's a fun day out. Yeah, you get it's drunk, like your version you of dogs. it's like your version of cricket to us. Yeah, yeah. it's like a long slow game that involves a lot of drinking. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that. I went to South Africa some years back and sat down for a good amount of time drinking, trying to get people to explain how cricket works. I still don't understand. I don't think the people playing cricket know how cricket works. No. They're so drunk. Yeah. <laughs> they probably went out thinking it was baseball. Get, you've got to be careful playing these sports because you're out there for a long time in that sun. Yeah. You've got to make sure you wear a lot of um, uh, sunscreen and make sure you have a good hat. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what they have in common, those two sports, isn't it? Yes. Uniform and sun. Yeah, sun and radiation. Balls. Lots of balls. For what you guys do, that's good advice when you play those big outdoor festivals in the summer. Exactly. Once we played, I think it was Coachella, where um, it was so hot, Mike's shoes started melting. Mm-hmm. Seriously? Along with the faces of the crowd. Thank you. Oh, there was so much rock. No, yeah. no, it was just that hot. It was, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, for a girl with makeup, it's not hard to have your face melt off when it gets a little too warm. You look like King Diamond after about 10 minutes. That's it. When I, I asked this question to Tim Comerford from Rage Against the Machine years and years ago, and I'm going to ask you guys the same question for the same reason. You've been playing together for so long now as this force of a rhythm section. How difficult would it be for either one of you to play with someone else now other than your bandmate? We're both professionals at this stage, so I'd like to think we could yeah. play. We could obviously could, but I think it's, the, um, it's more the telepathy and the... Um, yeah, there's there's a chemistry when we play that um, can't be emulated with anyone else. It wouldn't be we we could play with other people, but it wouldn't be royal blood. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't rock in the same way. It was it. You're getting to my point about the unspoken communication that you don't have to look at each other or say anything. That you've been playing together so long, you can anticipate what the other one is doing. Exactly, yeah. That just comes from years of playing together and touring, and it, um, yeah, you can't buy that on online. No, you can, but it doesn't work. The reason why I bring it up is that in any live band or live music situation, there always comes an unexpected emergency, and the rest of the band kind of has to cover. On an extreme case, somebody like the Foo Fighters that you mentioned where Dave Grohl falls off the stage and breaks his leg and the band's got to jam for a while till he can come back out with a cast on his leg and continue the show. 
when there's only the two of you and something goes wrong with the one, can you give me some examples of where you guys have had to bail each other out of a jam and and how that unspoken communication fared? You see, I think you've given us the, the Dave Grohl thing, and I think he's one of the only people that can do it. I think it, if any other band member, if I broke my leg, I would not be able to play the drums. So, and I think... You did dislocate your knuckle once and I did bail you out by telling some jokes. Jokes, yeah. But, I, you know, you, you can't... Basically, what's being said is you couldn't just do finish a show without me or else it would just be so you. It depends what it is. If there was... If, <laughs> Not something as extreme as a broken leg, but if you broke a snare head or if he, his, his bass malfunctioned and the other one has to cover, it's harder when there's only one other person. Dave Grohl is, of course, the huge exception to you just, what I'm talking about. You just, you just wait until um, those things get fixed. I, I mean, there's been... Yeah, we're not, we're not paid to do that. <laughs> <laughs> there's many occasions yeah. where... Make your own fun. We're trying right. to fix shit. Yeah. Exactly. No, I will. I will try some jokes. <laughs> I have jokes yeah. ready. Let's put it that way. But if I'm in trouble, I'm gonna have to tell him what the jokes are. Yeah. And I won't tell them. <laughs> I'll just listen to Mike's jokes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll... yeah. We're actually wasting even more time. <laughs> yeah. Your base has been fixed for ages. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> Snap out. I'm of gonna. It. I'm going to assume your jokes are really good. I have an affinity for British humor, so you're going to get a, a pass with me with whatever those jokes would be. Okay, good. I'm not going to tell you any because that's just... No, I don't want to ruin it just in case that you have an emergency the next time you're allowed to come to Boston and actually play a live show. Maybe we'll make sure we have an emergency next time we, we, we play when you're there. That's a good book name, Emergency Jokes. Well, I can promise you that when we're allowed to have concerts and tours coming back through, I'm not going to miss any. I think I took them for granted for a long time that I got to go to them so frequently. And now realizing what I've missed, I'm not going to miss. This whole band feels like an emergency joke. (laughs) And everyone stopped laughing. I'm still laughing. It's good. In a good way, though. In a a good way. I love us. (laughs) We were talking about Coachella. One of the things I've never been able to do that's been on a bucket list for me uh, that I'm promising myself I'm going to do once the tours go back out. Tell me about the experience of those huge European festivals that we all see online and on TV, but I haven't had a chance to go to. What is it like to go up on a stage in front of a massive crowd like that? Yeah, they're awesome. They're awesome. They're so well put together you know it's such an experience to go to and you know you get to see all your favorite bands in like two days i would say like uh, like uk festivals are we're we're pretty medieval you know you're like in the mud it's raining you're cold you know you're you're getting pretty ill you know you are questioning your own safety it's like a rite of passage you know going to a festival in the uk is like our spring break you know that's what, you, that's what you go and do. Whereas when you get to other parts of Europe, it gets pretty bougie, you know. You're getting more into the Coachella territory where suddenly it's like the grass is, is cleanly cut, you know. You can go to the, go and use the restroom in some form of privacy. 
Yeah. There's clean water. You know, it, it, it starts to go up. Coachella is like, it doesn't even, it's so bougie. It doesn't even feel like a festival, you know. You can get a massage while kind of watching yeah. Father John Misty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Eating organic food on yeah. a velvet couch. It's fucking awesome, but it's just not the same. It sounds like those British festivals are like Woodstock 94. Like with Nine Inch Nails and Green Day just throwing mud and grass around everywhere, yeah. soaking wet and freezing cold. That's it. Yeah. There's pain it's, and suffering over here. It sounds like heaven, though, right now. Yeah. I would like to be there doing that. Where are you guys right now? We're in a little room. Um... <laughs> in our manager's office we've been we had a meeting today we've sorted everything out yeah our bunk beds are over there <laughs> i meant geographically on the planet oh uh we're in the uk in london so are you drinking coffee or tea tea we've just been given two lovely hot mugs of tea well i have my coffee so cheers 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 everyone mike's had too much coffee he had to run around the room a couple of times. Yeah, just to sweat it out. When you are locked up and kind of not allowed to tour as you're used to being a rock band, you're known for being road dogs and being out on the road. You start getting creative, especially with your social media, like you talked about. And one of the things that I love that the bands have been doing um, is just off the cuff cover songs. Oh. And I know you guys have done that as well. And I'm a huge fan of cover songs. And there's two ways to go about it. To make a song completely your own mm -hmm. or to stay more true to the original. How do you feel about that? And, and how do you go into picking a song that you're going to cover and which direction you're going to take it? I think we've been doing it wrong because we've been picking songs that we love to cover and because we love them, we don't really try and reinvent them. But what we should be doing is picking songs that we... We think have got potential. We think, yeah, we think have, could be better, you know? Or just songs that we outright don't like. Mm. That's a much more interesting idea. That's only cover songs that we hate and we have to try and make them good. Yeah. Because then we're actually serving... We're, we're potentially offering something new. Yeah. And also, people will then go, have you heard... Raw Blood have covered this, and you're like, oh, I hate that song. No, you, you should listen to this. You won't listen. hate it anymore. Yeah, exactly. It'll make us look great as well. I mean, I think your original music holds up just fine, but I am a huge fan of someone that can look or listen to a song and just want to completely change it, especially if it's an artist that's out of genre. Yeah. We could take a song we hate and rewrite the chorus and then actually think, actually, it's replace the verse well, the happy birthday suddenly yeah why not take happy birthday let's start there because that song does get sung we can do all of the national anthems around the world yeah Ooh, careful over here with that one you don't want to go tweaking that one too much <laughs> yeah. i'm like what could possibly go wrong i didn't see any i didn't see any kind of um backlash for doing that yeah. they're catchy songs everybody knows them yeah it won't offend anyone yeah this yeah. is where we have a manager <laughs> who obviously after today and your successful meetings still has a job. So that's good. Yeah. Thank goodness we all have a job. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you guys about this interesting thing that I heard about last year. 
And because I'm not a musician myself, I'm always really curious about how musicians' brains work. Have you ever heard of synesthesia? They don't. Sorry? Have you ever heard of synesthesia? Yes. I'm fascinated by this concept. And it synesthesia is when you hear right. notes and music that it resonates in your brain as colors. Oh, yeah. And I had never heard of anything like that before. I actually talked to somebody at Zildjian Symbols, and they kind of told me that it was a thing. So I'm really curious for you guys how it is that you process your instrument and music is it by ear is it by play what is it that connects those things in your brain that allows you to write songs and play music i'm always slightly suspicious of people that claim to have synesthesia in that it i kind of feel like they like the idea of having it more than they have it i i, I do <laughs> i do get it but it does it sometimes seems like uh a fictional flex, you know. Some things are obvious as well. Like, I would say Metallica's Black album sounds like the color black. Mm. Do you know? And the Beatles' White album is probably white. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it can become a little bit um, kind of obvious. Yeah. But, but I guess, I guess, I guess in a, I'm not denying it exists, I know it does, but. I'm just having a dig at some people who claim they have it. But I think for us, it's like more of a feeling we get, you know. It's um, it's a feeling of sometimes like a literal physical reaction, you know, like hair standing up and having that little shiver, you know, and then you're like, close the door. Um, and, yeah, it's more of an instinctual gut feeling of, of us playing together and, and feeling an energy in the room. Rather than like, I see red. Yeah, that's a that's danger. That means danger. That means danger. Usually, it's usually time to stop. Or stop. Music. Yeah. Do you remember when you were a kid what you heard that made you realize that you wanted to be a musician? Uh, red Hot Chili Peppers, um, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, that whole record for me. It was it was so groovy and heavy, and it had riffs and it had funny lyrics and interesting lyrics and it had the slower songs and it had all kinds of things going on it was a wacky record and it was just the first thing that i heard that i was like this is rad mm -hmm. for me it was queen yeah right, as soon as i heard queen i was learning it on the piano and i wanted to kind of be a part of that world you know i think that got I think Queen got me playing, actually, like playing out the songs, you know, rather than being a spectator. You both named bands that are incredibly influential because they weren't afraid to take risks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, almost like they say in the, in the Queen film, you know, fortune favors the bold. And um, yeah, those bands at the time were like incredibly daring and and you know the music they were putting out when it came out wasn't really respected or understood and it's only with time that we've gone whoops it was yeah. all genius you know which is quite encouraging to know you know it's almost like you should be a little bit worried if it's well received at the time yeah. you're like man it's probably quite predictable also with all, all those that would put us down as kind of catastrophic failures <laughs> yeah. 
With we need Queen, to make something everyone questions. With Queen and Chili Peppers as well, they've made so many albums through different genres as well, clashing different musical genres together. And, you know, they've not been afraid of it. And, and they have made mistakes and made shit songs. Yeah. But they've still moved on from that and and try to do things differently, which is, I really respect. Thank you, Dan. You have a new album coming out April 30th called Typhoons. And really? a lot of... <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I just a, got out of corner. A lot of bands have been oh, very worried about releasing their new music before they kind of have an idea of when they're going to be able to tour and support it. Was this a huge discussion debate for you guys as to whether or not you were going to release this record no i think you know if you if you leave leave off music until not release anything until we gig again you could be waiting a long time and there is no time in the present that need people need uh, new music i think and we need to it's, it's that little bit of of sugar in your life isn't it that um you crave, and without it, um, you're missing it. So people need music, release music. When you went in to write this record, you've got such an established sound already. Going back to what you were talking about with, say, the Red Hot Chili Peppers or Queen, who've made mistakes and who had always tried to try new things and experiment. And there's that push and pull between wanting to spread your wings and see what you're capable of, but staying true to the sound of the band that you are. How do you navigate that seesaw of going too far on one edge or the other? Um, I think it comes down to, um, yeah, like fearlessness to, to explore and, but then also, um, having enough sense of self to know when you, when it doesn't work, you know, and I think the more of those failures you can do in private, the better, yeah. you know, and I, I feel like making this record for us, you know, we did attempt things that were out of our reach or too far or not far enough, but, um, you know, it, it's better to trip up and fall over flat on your face in secret and um, practice the dance on your own. Yeah. Your music requires a certain level of technology in order to be able to, <laughs> in order to be able to pull it off. But at the same time, at the same time, there's a certain amount of rock and roll that needs to be kind of stripped down and old school. Can you talk about wanting to keep that gritty kind of rock sound, but also be able to incorporate a lot of newer technologies into it? Yeah, I, I think um, by default we're we sit in that old school element because we're playing real instruments with our hands, and we don't have a computer telling us when the chorus is, you know. And um, so I think, and I think I think that's that's how we grew up listening to music and playing music and learning it. So that's that's kind of in our DNA. And then as for like technology, you know, it's it's um, it's it's a tool and it can be used tastefully or it can be used terribly. And um, yeah, it's something that 
we love to experiment with in the studio but again you know there's a we feel like there's a balance because it's um it's when it's when our um the music we're making kind of if the heartbeat of it becomes about technology then it's it's not really for us you know whereas if it becomes a cool glittery jacket that's electric then sure we'll put it on it's like if you um if you wanted your favorite artist to give you a piece of paper with the lyrics <clears throat> of their favorite song on it you wouldn't want the artist to type it out on their computer and print it off mm-hmm. you'd want it handwritten yeah there's a point where you're tired of opening the window manually and you're like you know what yeah electric windows but it it, it also is something where you got to you got to be able to to replicate it live in an in an authentic way absolutely yeah. but the way we record i think remains that way you know it's um we're recording a real drum kit you know um rather than having a computer play it yeah, you can't like, play, you can't like run away i play the drums this Benny plays the drums I'm, yeah i'm not very good on computers either no we did try to get a computer to play the drums <laughs> but we couldn't remember the login <laughs> One of the things I love about about what's happening in music now, and you guys are doing it as well, is that no matter the technology, no matter how many power windows you put in the car, the trend now is to put that music out on vinyl. Mm, yeah. Which I'm so happy has found this new life. Vinyl-y. <laughs> it's great because vinyl is better than a CD because CDs are not very big and they're all plasticky. Vinyl, you've got the whole thing in your hand you can read it elderly people can read it kids can read it they you pull out the sheet and there's a poster and there's artwork and there's color and there's photos to look at and there's this massive disc which i've got a massive disc (laughs) which you then get excited about putting on your your player and Mm -hmm. it and it gives you a whole new meaning to that record and that that music that's just about to come from the speakers, instead of going, I've got this new song, play it right now. Yeah. It's a bit oh, tinny. Yeah. That's it. Come in. And that's why vinyl is brilliant. Do you have a favorite vinyl memory, like an album that you just spent hours and hours just sitting in front of a record player, just listening to over and over again? Or that you analyze the artwork or the bifold or all the extra things you got inside? I don't think I, I don't think I had any vinyl until I was older. I was very much cassettes and CDs. But I think, I'm trying to think, I might have had like, no, it was all CD. That, that, yeah, for me, it was, it was this Elvis CD that was at the house that I would, um, I guess I would treat it with the same, respect as a vinyl because i knew i knew what it contained yeah i think um mine was actually quite recently when we were on tour with queens and i was with john theodore i think you were there do you come into music store with us i don't remember i don't remember five years of my life anyway we went in to to test out these speakers in this store there was just a sofa there and john theodore just put on uh, zeppelin 4 and it was just incredible like it was one of those like glass rooms where you just test the hi-fi 
And we just sat there drinking whatever we had in our hands. I can't even remember. Listening to uh, Zeppelin Four. Great album. It's it's one of those experiences where you can just kind of melt down into the couch. That's what we did. We melted <laughs> in a different way to Coachella. Melted. Mm-hmm. It comes up a lot on the podcast when we talk about kind of the evolution of rock and roll. And you guys are in an interesting perspective and position about this, that the blues originates here in the United States and then travels overseas and Americans get blues music back through the filter of these amazing British artists. And then that rock and roll turns into uh, hip hop in a lot of ways, and then hip hop evolves and goes back around the world and it influences rock and roll. For you guys growing up in England, what was what was your perception of the British artists? Because for America, it was this onslaught of creativity that showed up on the shores back in the day with the Beatles. Yeah. And but you mentioned Elvis which kind of had to predate the Beatles and make its way across. So how was that whole perception for you growing up? I feel like both sides of the pond have always been staring at each other, you know, and um, I would say for us, it was always uh, like the music that was coming from America, you know. I can't think of many English artists that we were like as anywhere near as excited about. There was something... I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe you can hear the authenticity and the history of it, you know. Um, and I feel like England has always been this like reflective wall from what America's really producing. And but sometimes there's like there's something about imitating what you love and missing the mark that makes something quite unique, you know. And um, yeah, for us, it was always American bands, and I guess. I guess when us emulating our influences, like everyone does, yeah, you you always do it in your own weird little English way, you know, and the result is hopefully something unique. Coming from an American who made the pilgrimage to England to dodge traffic in the crosswalk of Abbey Road, I was curious what that was like in the reverse. We're also a lot more miserable the Americans, you know, we're we're. Are we're you pretty, sure? Are you really sure? Um, yeah, we like we're we're not that happy. It's pretty great. It's literally grey outside everywhere. So I feel like we're angrier. So we can um, we can put a lot more of our our anger. It's where our humour comes from, isn't it? Really? It is. Yeah, it's how dull it is. Yeah, it's sink or swim over here. Laugh or cry. Which is probably why Bostonians, in particular, have such an affinity for humour because. It's pretty gray and miserable here right now, too, and cold, and nobody really wants to do anything, not that there's anything to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we definitely um, feel the same. <laughs> can relate. We can relate. I want to ask you about the writing process, because there's two of you as opposed to, I mean, Slipknot, there's nine of them trying to agree, or however many band members there are. It's like, oh, this was your fault. but i'm i'm fascinated as an as a non-musician as someone that doesn't have musical talent and i apologize to anyone listening to the podcast because i ask this question a lot of artists as someone who doesn't have the ability 
to pour all of your heart and soul into your creativity mm -hmm. as a band. And then you bring in someone from the outside as a producer to give you that outside opinion. Mm -hmm. How difficult of a process is that? And I ask you because you've worked with people that are also musicians like Josh Homie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, the, the record we've made is kind of by default largely self-produced. Um, but we did um, a couple of tunes with Josh and that was such a great experience because I think in order for someone to enter our world and and get their head inside our bands, you know, it has to be someone that we truly respect. And Josh is obviously one of those people. Um, I think part of being someone, and also I think it's it's down to us to make someone feel comfortable enough to challenge us, you know, because it's easy to be, to be in a room full of everyone agreeing with each other, you know. So um, yeah, working with him was an amazing experience. And um, I think we came away from that session, yeah, um, fully realizing um, the kind of songs we needed in order to make the record we wanted to make, you know, and and the level of fearlessness we, that was we were going to have to find in ourselves in order to go and pursue the record we wanted to make. When it comes to fearlessness, mm -hmm. which is such a huge word when you're talking about, prospect. well, that's what I wanted to ask you because rock and roll on one hand has this, amazing community and longevity of career and and loyalty mm -hmm. and on the other hand there's unfortunately this tragedy in it mm. where where artists have poured their souls into this art that they make and in that soul is pain a lot of pain that makes this amazing music and then we lose those artists because the pain overwhelms them. Mm -hmm. And when we lose those artists, I always talk about, you know, I'll cite two examples, most recent Chester Bennington and Chris Cornell, you go back and listen to the music and it was all in there. Mm -hmm. And as a fan of music, there's a guilt that comes with the fact that we consumed their pain as entertainment. So when you're pouring everything into your music and it, isn't well received when you talk about these bands you love that made mistakes how difficult is that to be fearless when you know everything you're dumping into it could fail and that it's it's you that you've poured into it well i think there's a danger of entering this kind of transaction where you're selling your feelings for some any kind of exterior validation and i think um, you know, the culture that we're in now, you know, is largely dependent on others validating you for whatever you're doing with your life. And I think for us, you know, we want, we, we kind of cut that off pretty quickly. And I think that's why it's, it's so important to make music for yourself. And the people that you've mentioned, I believe, you know, did, did, they didn't do that to sell. They made that, that art for themselves. And I think that's an amazing thing about music is you can turn your pain into art. You know, and um, I think, um, yeah, I, I think for us, we it, it's not up to us how someone else feels about it, you know. And I think, um, yeah, I think, it, I think it was Kurt Cobain that said, you know, it, it's better to be hated for who you are and than love for something you're not, you know. 
And I think, um, yeah, I think that's why you should make art for yourself. And, and um, I'd rather make a, like a record that we think is brilliant, that absolutely bombs, <laughs> than something we get told is amazing, but we deep down, we hate it. And we're like at a stadium playing it. And inside we're like, we're the worst band in the world. Well, I ask because you just celebrated or just received your second number one song on the radio here in America off off a record that's not even out yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. And it's funny. We got asked recently, like when someone asked us, when will you feel like this album, this new album is, is a success. And to me, the answer is easy. It's, you know, it's, it's the minute it was finished for us. And, and, and when no one else had heard it, you know, that's when we do our celebrating because, um, and going back to our time with Josh, you know, I think I, he really helped remind me like this, this album you're making should be for you only, you know, it should be something that you want to listen to in your own time. And that was the kind of goal really. I think sometimes you get to the end of a record making process and you don't really want to hear it ever again. Whereas this album, you know, it's still, it's still in heavy rotation back at the house. And it's a tough position to be in when you finish a record and you don't want to hear it again. And then you got to spend the next two years out on the road playing the songs every night. Yeah. That's when you've made the wrong record. And you're talking about a guy that definitely is considered fearless, that is not afraid to take chances and experiment and spread wings and try new things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, I think there's, um, yeah, there's something so inspiring about that. And, um, obviously, um, he's made many more records than we have. And, um, comparatively we're a lot earlier on in our, in our life as artists, you know, and I think, um, it's an exciting time for us because it's the, I guess it's the first time we've really made a change from what we've done before, you know, and it's, um, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. I, and I, I weirdly quite enjoy um, people questioning um, a new direction. I, I think it's quite exciting, you know. It's, um, yeah, it, it, it's fun to kind of do, it's, it's, it's very liberating as an artist to unchain yourself and, and free yourself. It's been such a strange time with the world shut down the way that it has been. And one of the things that we have to look forward to is a literal baby boom. Like I can't name all the people I know that are expecting babies. And then we're also going to get this music boom. Was it nice having that creative outlet when everything was shut down to be able to just kind of close yourselves into the studio and work on music and Mm. how much of this was done already before COVID really became the global catastrophe that it turned out to be? The majority of the record in our, in our minds was finished and we were in the middle of recording it. And I think um, having to stop the recording process and going into a lockdown it forced us into it forced us into boredom and, and I'm a believer in boredom. I believe in my experience it, it's when I'm at my most creative because distractions are confiscated and I'm left with my bare essentials and my vice and my therapy is, is music and um and and I think 
I think maybe going back to the the England thing as well, because England is so dark and rainy and cold, you know, much like the atmosphere of a lockdown, it was like, well, I need to kind of make some antidote to this, you know, I need to bring some sun, I need some sunshine to come out of the speakers. And um, it turned out to be obvious, you know, it turned out to be a very creative experience, basically. I think it, it actually acted as a catalyst for the record. Typhoons was written in lockdown. Our next single that was coming out soon was also written in lockdown. So, yeah, some of the best material came out of of that. Well, that's what I was going to ask. If you had already written and started recording a lot of this record before it happened, what songs were changed the most by that experience? Obviously, what you just said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think three songs. Yeah, Mad um, Mad Visions, Limbo. Typhoons all came out of that lockdown period. That boredom that you talk about, did you do anything unexpected other than work on music? Did you develop a new skill or or do something you never expected to have the time to do because you were just forced to sit still for that long? Did uh, you learn how to cook? I, I actually love cooking anyway, so that's something I always do. But I began to go in the sea and swim in the ocean a lot more. Um, oh, and I still do that through the winter. So it gets it gets kind of near freezing. So yeah, cold ocean swims. They uh, say it's supposed to be really good for you, health wise. It hurts a lot, but yeah. I've yeah. <laughs> um, and before I let you go, when you go back and listen to the music you've created, and you go back and listen to the music that inspired you as a songwriter, can you give me an example of a song? from any artist of any era, whenever, that you go, oh, I wish I had written that song. There's so many. I know. it's a, For a music lover, I know it's a hard question. There's a song called Favorite Game by the Cardigans that I love. I wish I wrote that song. I wish I wrote We Will Rock You the most. Because I think, I think We Will Rock You is the ultimate example of um what we admire and pursue in music which is so simple and so dumb that it like knocks on the door of genius you know and i think it's so built around the live show and it's the old and it's like the crowd play the song well, that's what's that's what was great to see in the movie that you talked about. Yeah, uh, is is the participation that's required from the audience, and that combined with the lyric, and there's nothing in it. It's just that the simplest drum beat that everyone wished they came up with, and just a vocal, and then right at the end, like the greatest guitar solo you've ever heard. It's just, I don't know. It's just it's so simple and so dumb. It's it's frustrating, you know. Why didn't I think of that? I mean, obviously you weren't born young enough, but. Yeah, genius. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me today. Um, It's been a pleasure. I I know we lost Ben. I don't know if he had to pee. I apologize if I made him almost pee his pants. He had another interview. Oh, well, there you go. So um, he had to go. But it was nice to see you guys again. Um, and congratulations on the new record. It's amazing. And and I love that you are trying new things and are fearless in 
releasing music at this time and experimenting and and doing new things. And you're right. It, it is something we all need right now is mm-hmm. more new music and more of that sunshine in our lives a little bit because it's hard right now. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. And I can't wait to see you guys when you can actually come to Boston and play the song live. It will happen. Hold tight. We'll see you soon. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, there they are, Mike and Ben from Royal Blood. Huge thanks to them for coming on the podcast. The album we spent so much time talking about, Typhoons, comes out on April 30th. You can get all the details on the band and all of their social media links in the show notes of this podcast. And you definitely want to check out the custom playlist for this episode as well. The new songs they've already released off the record are in there, as well as all of the other music that we talked about. And once again, thanks to Digital Federal Credit Union at dcu.org and mistresscarry.com for sponsoring this week's episode. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss anything on the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, Plus, every weekday, you get all your headlines in music and entertainment boiled down to less than five minutes with the Mistress Carrie sit rep. And if you don't mind, leave us a five-star review and a comment. And if you got a friend that's a Royal Blood fan, share the episode. And join me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 on my Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. If you're looking to move out of your parents' place, you could really cut expenses by bundling your car and renter's insurance with Progressive, which is good because your little brother has gotten really territorial. You're blood-related. You'd think it would be fine to share food in the fridge. I mean, who writes their name on every individually wrapped slice of cheese, Tyler? Still, you've got to admire the commitment. So bundle your renter's and car insurance with Progressive and use the savings to help you move out and have all the cheese you want. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.